For you folks who are guests with us, as Frank has already said, we are just absolutely thrilled to have you with us this morning, and we hope that this time will be something that God can use to be a blessing to you, a challenge uh, to you, and uh, we've been studying the book of Revelation, and so if you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13 this morning, Revelation chapter 13. Now, how, how many of you know uh, who Gene Dixon is? Would you raise your hand? Okay, how many of you do not know who Gene Dixon is? Now, for those of us that know who that is, that's pretty amazing, I, I, at least to me, and I think what it's doing is, if nothing else, telling me my age. Um, I'm sure that must have been all the young people in the room who didn't know uh, who this particular woman is. Uh, she just, for those of you that don't know, she happens to be, uh, and I say this not to insult your intelligence, uh, but she happens to be, in fact, I'm kind of grinning that you don't know who she is. She happens to be the, the most famous astrologer uh, slash psychic that probably has lived in the last uh, century or, or so. Uh, Many of you may not know this, but, but she actually professes to be a prophetess. And she claims that she gets the power that she has to so-called predict the future, that she gets this power from God. Now, she is right in that point. She does get her power from God. It just doesn't happen to be Jehovah God. It, it happens to be the one that Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 calls what the God of this world which of course is Satan now and the thing that's been kind of incredible about this woman the reason she's gotten such notoriety is the fact that she has been right on quite a few things in fact in fact you could probably list hundreds of things that she has predicted that have actually come true now on the other side of that she's also predicted hundreds of things that didn't come true and according to the book of Deuteronomy if you want to know whether or not she really gets this power from Jehovah God all you gotta do is just go to that book because God made this thing so simple in fact you know what God made all of life real simple folks he gave us a book and the book is just real black and white and what the black and white book says about the thing God basically says this if you want to know whether a prophet is truly from God here's the deal if they're ever wrong they're not from God I mean, really, I mean, that's exactly what the Word of God says. And if a prophet claims to be from God, and they said, Thus saith the Lord, and it didn't happen, you know what you're supposed to do? Kill him for the glory of God. <laughs> now, for you folks who may be still struggling to figure out who this Gene Dixon babe is, uh, maybe this might bring it back to you. Have you ever heard that there was somebody that prophesied or predicted that John Kennedy was going to get assassinated if he went to Dallas. Okay, this is this is the bait. Okay, she's the one that made this prediction, and of course he went to Dallas, and the rest is history. But you know, a lot of you may not have realized this, but did you did you know that Gene Dixon is now a believer? On January twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven, she died. And listen. 
the split second that she drew her last breath, she became a believer in Jesus Christ. And she understood very assuredly that there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus Christ and Him alone. The sad thing is, is it was too late for Jean Dixon at that point, as it has been too late for a lot of people. But do you realize, folks, that in hell this morning, there are no unbelievers, there are no atheists, there are no self-righteous people. It's all believers in heaven and in hell. Just the only place where you might find two different types of people is on the earth. But as I was reading this past week, I found something just pretty interesting. It was from the July 1965 Reader's Digest where it was condensing a, a biography of Gene Dixon's life that was called A Gift of Prophecy. And the article concluded with this final paragraph. Listen. A child born in the Middle East on February 5th, 1962, will revolutionize the world and eventually unite all warring creeds and sects into one all-embracing faith. This person, who has been the subject of some of Gene Dixon's strongest, clearest vision, was born of humble peasant origin. Mankind, she says, will begin to feel the great force of this man about 1980, and his power will grow mightily until 1999, at which time there will be peace on earth to all men of goodwill. Now, obviously, I don't put not one little bit of stock in anything that Gene Dixon has ever prophesied or said or any of her dates or anything like that, but I will tell you this. I do put absolute, complete stock in what this book says and what this book prophesies, what this book predicts as far as the future is concerned. And what this book says is that in the very, very near future, what is going to take place on this planet is millions of people are going to absolutely vanish right off of the face of this planet. And though the vast majority of the people who will be remaining on this planet will not realize it, what will have happened to those people who have vanished is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself will descend out of heaven into the earth's atmosphere and he will bodily remove every person who has put their faith and trust in him alone and have experienced what Jesus described in John chapter 3 as the new birth or being born again. What is just so strange is that we throw that, that terminology around all the time. There are a lot of folks that think that that is nothing more than a marketing scheme for Bible fundamentalists, this born-again thing. They do not realize that those were the words of Jesus Christ himself. But that event is going to take place. The Bible would give us every indication to believe that it is going to be in the very, very near future where these people will just absolutely, the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be removed. And as you can well imagine, immediately as that happens, this world is going to be thrust into absolute, utter confusion and chaos and terror over the entire globe. People are going to be absolutely freaked out. And just about that time, according to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, 
a man is going to gallop onto the stage of human history. This is the one that the Bible describes as the Antichrist. He's the one that God describes here in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1 as the beast, the beast who rises up out of the sea. What we've been doing over the last several weeks is we've been seeking to, to build a biblical composite of this one that the Bible refers to here again as the beast. Uh, we commonly refer to him as the Antichrist. And, and some of the things that we've seen thus far is that when he comes on the scene, when he first comes, far from being some you know, evil ogre that terrorizes the people of this planet like Hollywood sometimes portrays him to be or like uh, Marilyn Manson portrays him to be. I, I just saw him on TV this, this past week. How many of you adults don't know who Marilyn Manson is? Oh, y'all are... Hey, we got a bunch of cool adults here, y'all. But, you know, Marilyn Manson portrays himself as the Antichrist, calls himself that, and he's, you know, this, this kind of a guy. You know, his tongue is always out and all of that kind of a deal. And Hollywood portrays the Antichrist like that. And, and Marilyn Manson, and in fact, even a lot of preachers portray the Antichrist many times to, to be like that. But what we've seen from the Word of God is that when this guy comes on the scene, he is going to be the absolute slickest, smoothest man who has ever graced this planet. And he will first of all, this is on your study sheet, he will first of all woo the world. W-O-O, if you want the spelling of that. Now, this is going to be real tough today. Everything on our outline is going to be three letters, and they're all going to be, begin with the, the, the letter W. Okay? First of all, he will woo the world. Am I, am I live here now? All right, good deal. He will woo the world. L listen, when he comes on the scene, folks, he is going to be a man with answers. And listen, once millions of people have vanished off of the face of this earth, the world is going to desperately need somebody with answers. And according to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23, what it says concerning the Antichrist is that he will be one who will understand dark sentences. In other words, he'll be able to provide answers to difficult questions. And again, the biggest question on everybody's mind at that point is, first and foremost, where did my loved ones go? Mamas and daddies are going to be wondering, where did my baby go? Where did the millions of people all over this planet, where did they go? And, and I want you to listen now, folks. Satan has been, he's just been setting this thing up over the last 50 years or so. He, he's been providing an answer for where everyone went. What do you think it's been? UFOs. Have you ever just stopped to think about this whole deal and when this whole big splash concerning UFOs came on, on, on the scene? It, it just happened to be about five decades ago when it really, really became a deal. Do you know what was happening on this planet five decades ago? Go, go back in your mind. Fifty years from 1998 and you're at what? 1948. Do you know anything that happened in 1948 that would bear any biblical significance at all? What happened in 1948 is Israel after almost 2,000 years of not being a nation, 
Israel became a nation in 1948, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Now, boys and girls, just listen up. When you see that event take place on this planet, y'all better get good and ready, because he says that generation of people is not going to pass away until Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. Now, listen, there's a lot of Christians that don't believe in the rapture today. Did you know that? Get on the internet and find out. I mean, all over the place, people are, are saying, people like us that believe in this rapture, it's just a big fairy tale thing. Now listen, a lot of Christians may not believe it, but I promise you that Satan believes in the rapture. And you see, he, he knows that he is going to have to provide an answer because he knows that in the very near future, millions of people are going to vanish off of the face of this earth, and he's got to have something that has been set up to give an answer for where all of these people went. And buddy, for the last 50 years, as soon as he saw the nation of Israel become a nation, he's just been plotting that, that whole thing. And he knows exactly what's getting ready to take place on this, this planet. And buddy, once everybody is gone, and the whole world is in absolute chaos and totally freaked out, here it comes on CNN... CBN, MSNBC, the whole lot. Here comes this guy with the most incredible dialogue that you have ever heard in your life. Now remember, the world is going to be glued to this thing because they're going to be looking for what is the answer? Where did these people go? And, and who's going to be next and all of that? They're going to be glued to it. And here comes this guy. And he is going to be so smooth. And he's going to explain how extraterrestrials from a, a far distant planet many light years away have taken these people and he's going to tell the people how he's in, involved in intergalactic uh, negotiations with a, a council to be able to get these people back safe and sound and he's going to be the one that understands dark sentences he'll make sense out of all of the chaos and all of this thing, and he'll get everybody settled down, and listen, as soon as he does, immediately, he'll be established as the man. The world is going to be hanging on every word that this guy has to say in the whole wooing process will have begun. And Daniel chapter 11 and verse 21 says that he shall come in, here's his entrance, He'll come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom. Not by threats, not by armies, not by weapons, not by force of any kind. Daniel 11.21 says that it'll be by flatteries. It'll be by flatteries. In other words, he'll take the world by wooing it, coddling it, loving it. And he'll get that, get, get that following. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says that he shall corrupt by flatteries. Again, not by force, by flatteries. Daniel 8, 24 says that he shall destroy wonderfully. Daniel 8, 25 says, and through his policy, he shall cause craft or, or, or deceit to prosper in his hand, and by peace shall destroy many. And you see, when you begin to put all of those verses together with what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, 
in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, what the Bible makes very clear is that the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, will come to a place of power globally by an arms control agreement and a series of, of peace treaties through which he is going to settle the crisis that even now is looming in, in the Middle East and is going to continue to just get bigger and, and bigger as, as time goes on. But he's going to settle that thing between the Jews and the Arabs. He, he's going to establish the world economy, and he is going to establish on this world world peace. And you see, that's exactly what the world's going to be looking for at that period of time. And in the, the whole process, through his soft words, the Bible says, and through his diplomacy, he will absolutely woo the world right into his clutches. But not only will he woo the world, but next he will wow the world. He will wow the world. That's W-O-W. Now check it out. Through, through all of his, his smooth answers and all of his seemingly overnight accomplishments in, in world affairs, the world is already going to be eaten out of this guy's hand. But listen, he is going to put on the, the most incredible, phenomenal, unbelievable display of miraculous supernatural power that the world has ever seen since the time of Jesus Christ. I mean, he is going to do it all. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, what it says is that the Antichrist coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You see, folks, what the world won't realize as the tribulation period begins, and what is sad is about three-quarters of Christianity right now doesn't know this that is going on, but what the world is going to be absolutely oblivious to after we're out of here and the tribulation period has begun is that when you talk about supernatural power, you've got to determine what you mean by that. Because, you see, there are two sources of supernatural power. There is, first of all, divine power. And, of course, that's the supernatural power that comes from God. Divine power. And then there's diabolical power. And that's the supernatural power that comes from the devil or, or Satan. You'll remember back in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 10... Moses exercised divine power when he cast his, his rod to the ground before Pharaoh and it became a serpent. In Exodus chapter 7 verse 12, just two verses later, Pharaoh's magicians exercised diabolical power as they performed the exact same miracle. The exact same one that God had just done through his servant Moses. Here comes the magicians of Egypt, through Satan's power, doing exactly the same thing. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 20, Moses exercised divine power when he turned the waters of Egypt into blood. Two verses later, Exodus chapter 7, verse 22, Pharaoh's magicians exercised diabolical power, again, as they did the same exact thing. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, you can go and check it out. And what he says is if somebody comes along and they do a miracle 
And then after they do the miracle, they lead you to follow other gods, kill them. The point I'm wanting you to see is there's people all over this planet who have the power to do miracles that are not from God. In Revelation chapter 16, what we're going to see when we get over there is there are going to be unclean spirits, and what it says is that during the tribulation period, they too will be working miracles. And again, and I, I hate to keep making this, this, this point, but listen, this is a point that needs to be made because so many people get sucked into this. But this is the reason that we don't get too excited when we hear about somebody who went to some meeting somewhere and they experienced some miracle. Because just because they were at some meeting that went under the heading as, as Christian does not mean that the miracle was a miracle from God. No matter what the, the thing up at the front said, no matter what kind of church it said that it was, because we know that there's somebody else in this book who is a miracle worker, and he's been doing miracles since the very beginning. You know, I, I'm, I know that there's, there's miraculous power that doesn't come from God. But, I, you know, y'all just got to help me. I, I mean, this thing gets so simple to me. I've always asked the stupid question, why is it that if these people have this miraculous power to heal, and, and, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is, kindergartner would ask this. Why do they have to do it on their own turf? Why do they have to have it in, in their meetings? Why do they have to, to draw these people into those meetings? Why not just go to where the people that really need this are? in hospitals and, and you know what Jan Crouch I promise you it'll be within the next week you, you just watch whatever that is just watch and what Jan Crouch is going to be doing is she's going to parade her little self all over into these Asian countries and she's going to be going into the hospitals giving them Barbie dolls and, and all this kind of stuff why not bring your good friend Benny Hinn with you and give them what they need for crying out loud. I mean, that, oh, you see, and we, we're so touched because she's given these people Barbie dolls. You know what? My, my wife is, in my estimation, about the sweetest person that ever walked the earth. We were watching this last year as Jan was, you know, doing her little thing all over the world. And everybody's, oh, isn't that wonderful? I promise you, my wife picks up the phone, calls the number down at the bottom of the screen and says, you know... I've, I've watched, the, you know, this, and I, I've heard about all the healing and all that. I'm just wondering, why is she doing this right now? Why isn't somebody with her healing them? And you know what they said? You know, that is a good question. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a lot of Christians who, who get themselves just majorly messed up because they're, they're working off of the wrong premise to begin with, it, it, what a lot of Christians, how they get themselves messed up, is somebody told them one time that all sickness comes from Satan. You believe that? And then on the other side of that thing, and, and it, I mean, this is, it's everywhere, y'all. The other side of it is, and all healing comes from God. Wow. I mean, listen, the enemy's just set you up big time. If you go with that one, I just want to remind you that in the book of 2 Corinthians, what Paul said is that he gloried in his infirmities. Oh, you mean when Satan was afflicting him, he was just like, oh, this is the ultimate, man. I love to be 
uh, you know, come under the power of Satan. No. He understood that God sometimes chooses in His sovereignty to bring infirmity into our life for a specific purpose. The specific purpose being His glory. And I'd like to remind you that in Philippians chapter 3, Epaphroditus, it says that the man was sick nigh unto death. You know why? For the work of Christ's sake. He literally was going morning, noon, and night for God to the point to where he almost died. And guess what? Paul didn't call anybody that had the gift of healing to come heal the poor guy. He, he, he talks to Timothy, and Timothy, is, is, he's got stomach problems. You know what he prescribes for him? A little bit of medicine. Take, take some Pepto-Bismol for your stomach there, Tim Bob. And I'd just like to also remind you that Judas, who the Bible says was a devil from the beginning, he healed people. And, and you know what? I mean, you, really, you, you just start looking at this thing, and, and it just gets real simple. But now listen. Regardless of what's going on today with Benny Hinn and Rod Parsley and Kenneth Copeland and, and Papa Hagen, you know, all, all that, that, that junk, listen. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, he ain't going to be, you know, he ain't going to be on, on stages healing people of migraine headaches and lower back pain and 50 other things that you cannot diagnose. He's not going to be up on a stage knocking people out, you know, where they're laying on the ground, you know, going into convulsions and, and all of that, that kind of stuff. You know what the Antichrist is going to do when he comes on the scene, guys? He's going to heal people of organic diseases. You know what he's going to do? He's going to heal blind eyes. And when eyes are removed out of the socket, he'll put them back in there and so the people can see. He'll take withered limbs and he'll restore them. He'll restore removed limbs. He'll raise people from the dead. And buddy, listen, when they see Satan's display of supernatural power through this guy once he's already wooed them buddy they're going to be just set wide open to be wowed and they'll hold him in absolute awe and wonder and and now listen then at the midpoint of the tribulation period when he receives a, a deadly blow to the head from a sword according to revelation chapter 13 and here is his his body lying cold and lifeless and stiff in the street and then bam he raises from the dead buddy you talk about getting wowed I mean this world is just gonna oh my goodness in fact Revelation 13 3 says that at that moment all the world will wonder after the beast you know what it means they're gonna be wowed their socks will be wowed off man Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4 even tells you what they're going to be saying. They're going to be so wild, they're going to be saying, Who is like unto the beast? There's never been anybody in the entire history of man like this one. And who is able to make war with him? And Revelation chapter 13 says that that power that he is going to exercise 
is going to catapult him into a, a whole new dimension as far as the people of this world are, are concerned because he will not only woo the world, he will not only wow the world. At that point, he will win the world. And hopefully you can spell that one. That, that's not W-H-E-N. That's W-I-N. Okay, they're all three letters. Okay, he, he will win the world. First of all, he'll win them religiously. Revelation 13.8 says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And we'll see as we get into this the next time that that all there is in reference to all except for those whose names are found in the, in the book of life. But at that point, all that dwell upon the earth, listen, they're not just going to follow him. They're not just going to revere him. They will worship him him and they'll do so very willingly and then at this point also next he will win the world politically revelation 13 16 says that he will cause everyone in the world both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and through that mark revelation 13 7 says that he will exercise power over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So at that point, he'll have the world religiously. He'll have the world politically. And not only that, he'll win them commercially. Because Revelation 13, 17 says very plainly that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Page two. <laughs> Evidently, if, hey, y'all who are sleeping, turn your page and make everybody around think that you're, you're right, on, right in line with everybody else. Okay, now, now listen. Now once he's pulled this thing off, and he holds the world religiously, he's got them politically, he's got them commercially, he's going to do something else. He will woe the world. W-O-E, he will woe the world. Now, now listen, you see, all, uh, up to this point, it's all been a masquerade. You, you know what he's been doing all of this time? He's been seeking to appear to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And now listen, he's been watching the Lord Jesus Christ since eternity passed. He watched him when he walked on this earth and he ministered among men and he would, listen, he was taking real good notes. And when he hits this, this planet during the tribulation period, he's going to be masquerading himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this point, his true nature is going to, going to be revealed. You see, once he's won the world religiously, politically, and commercially, and it's going to, according to the Word of God, it's going to take him three and a half years to actually get to that point. But at that point, then it's all going to bust loose, and then his true colors are really going to be seen. He's gonna, his identity is, is going to unfold before the world. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says that at this point, 
What is going to take place is he is going to break his peace treaty with the nation of Israel. He'll no longer allow the Jews to make sacrifices in their temple. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he is going to come into the temple and he's going to set up an image of himself in the holy place. And what he is going to do at this point is now he will demand that the whole world will worship him. Revelation 13, 15 says that he will cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. At this point, you'll worship him whether you like it or not. And if you don't, he'll kill you. Psalm 55, verse 20 and 21 says, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And you see, now he's revealed for who he is, and it leads to one final thing. He will war the world. He will war the world. Revelation chapter 16 verses 12 through 16 says that by the end of the seven-year tribulation that the Antichrist as part of the, the satanic trinity and the unclean spirits that will be working in and through them, that is the satanic trinity, will gather together all of the kings of, of the whole world and their armies for what is going to be the most devastating military confrontation in all of human history what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon and according to Revelation chapter 14 and chapter 16 we'll see this in the next several weeks or months whatever it takes and you take Revelation 14 and Revelation 16 and you lay that next to Joel chapter 3 and Isaiah 63 and Psalm 2 and all other kinds of places in the Word of God and what you find is going to take place on this planet is the Antichrist will have assembled a world council of people against the nation of Israel that council of people is going to be headed up by ten kings of the East and listen they will have behind them 200 million United Nations cavalrymen. And the, what's going to happen is they're, they're going to gather in Palestine, and then the troops are going to be coming down from the northwest valley toward Jerusalem, and it's going to look at that moment with 200 million soldiers being led by these ten kings coming against the nation of Israel. It's going to look like Israel is an absolute goner. And just about that time, heaven is going to open. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to fulfill what Revelation 16, 14 calls, listen, the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And if you want to know what is so great about that day, what it says is going to take place at that time is that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come down into that valley and he is literally going to stomp the Antichrist along with his 200 million troops, he's going to stomp them under his feet like tiny little grapes until the Bible says their blood will run three feet deep in that valley for a, a hundred 
and 60 miles down the Kishon down to the Jordan River. You say, well, well, what all does that really mean? What that means is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and He is going to stomp on 200 million soldiers until the Bible says the blood is going to run 160 miles long, three feet deep, until it comes up to the horse's bridles. That's exactly what's going to take place. That's what the Word of God says. So first, the Antichrist will woo the world. Then he'll wow the world. And then he'll win the world. Then he'll woe the world. Until finally, he will war the world. Now, hopefully that will form for you what we've been trying to form over the last several weeks, a, a composite. I just kind of got on a little roll this week with those W's and I couldn't stop myself from, from doing that. But, but you know what? It, it just, it's, a, it's a great little way to be able to remember the whole work and ministry of the Antichrist. But let's continue working through the outline. We've looked in the last several weeks at his rise to power. And secondly, we looked at his genius... We've looked at over 30 different names and titles of the Antichrist. We've seen his place in Satan's counterfeit trinity. Last week we spent the time talking about his connection to the city and the Tower of Babel. And then this morning, number six, we're going to be looking at his forerunners in human history. His forerunners in human history. Now, as you take the, the Word of God and you begin to look at this thing, and I've mentioned this over the last several weeks, what you begin to find is that other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the Bible spends more time covering the work, the person, the ministry of this man, more so than any other person in the Word of God. I mean, it, it is all over the place. And what you begin to see is that there are 18 major types of Antichrist all the way through the, the Word of God, and, and I want to just, I, I want to show you these as, as in the context of, of forming this biblical composite so you can begin to see what the Word of God has to say about this one. And we see many of those things typified, if you will, all the way through the Word of God in 18 major types. Six plus six plus six. The first one is Cain. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 12, what it says of him, it says this, listen very carefully, Cain, who was of that wicked one. Now, uh, again, that's, that's hard to miss. He was of that wicked one. John chapter 8, verse 44, says of the devil that he was a murderer from the beginning. And of course, the first murder on the face of this planet was committed by Cain. And Jesus lets us know here what power it was that was actually behind the act of that first murder. And if you go back in Genesis chapter 4, what you find is that Cain is a picture of the Antichrist persecuting Abel, a type of Israel, because of his quote-unquote religion. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, what you find is that the Lord set a mark 
upon Cain. And again, if you check out Revelation 13, 14, 15, and 16, what you find is that there is a mark that is connected with the Antichrist. The, the second one is a guy by the name of Nimrod. And we spent, again, the entire time last time just was showing you this major connection. I'll remind you, he's the 13th in line from Adam. His name means rebel or rebellious one. And when he shows up in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10, he's setting himself up as the king over a kingdom in rebellion against God, a kingdom that is called Babylon. And in Genesis chapter 11, in an attempt to establish a, a world empire, Nimrod unifies the people, listen to it, both politically and religiously, as they say, let us build us a city and a tower. And we saw that the city represented the governmental or political aspect of the kingdom. The tower represented the religious aspect. And I mean, you just go right on down through the line, and what you find is that Nimrod is a perfect description of everything the Antichrist is and will do when he comes to this earth. The third one is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king over Egypt, which is always a picture of the world in the Bible. And in Exodus chapter 4 through chapter 12, what you find is that Pharaoh persecutes the nation of Israel just like the king of the world will do in the tribulation period. And who was it that preached to Pharaoh back in the Old Testament? It was Moses, right? And guess who shows up again in Revelation chapter 11 to preach to the Antichrist during the tribulation? We've already seen this. It's, it's Moses. The fourth one is Balak. And he is the, the Moabite king in Numbers 22 through 25 who caused Israel to stumble. And, and there's a very interesting connection between Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13 and Numbers 22 and verse 41. Now, in Revelation 16, 13, it identifies the satanic trinity. You remember two weeks ago, we, we went through the satanic trinity so that you could see the place of the Antichrist in this thing. What we find in Revelation 16, 13 is that the dragon is Satan the father, if you will. The beast is Satan the son, and the false prophet is Satan the unclean spirit or the unholy spirit. Okay, so you, you've got that identified, that satanic trinity there in Revelation 16, 13. Then you go to Numbers chapter 22 and verse 41 and listen to it. It says, and it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took... Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. And what you have there in that verse is a, a picture of the unholy trinity in Revelation 16 and verse 13. Baal is the false god, the picture of the dragon. Balak is the false king, a picture of the beast or the antichrist. And Balaam is the false prophet, a picture of the false prophet in, in Revelation 16, 13. 
Number five is a guy by the name of Sisera. And he shows up in Judges chapter 4 and 5. Judges chapter 4 and verse 3 says, He mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And you come over there to Judges chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and you know where the guy is defeated? Megiddo. And you know where the Antichrist is going to be defe defeated? We, we just talked about it. Revelation 16, 16. Armageddon. It's the same exact place. The sixth one is Abimelech. He shows up in Judges chapter 9. And what you find about Abimelech is, is he is a rebel against God. He is a follower of Baal. And he sets himself up as the sole king reasoning that, that more could be accomplished in the kingdom if just one person was calling the shots and he rises to power and it, it's just what happens with the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. It's the same exact thing that happens to Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 and verse 53. What you find happens is that just like the Antichrist in Revelation 13 3 receives a deadly head wound, the same thing happens in Judges chapter 9 and verse 53 to Abimelech. Number seven is Goliath. And of course, he also comes against the, the nation of Israel. He's likened to a lion and a bear in 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, just like the Antichrist is in Revelation 13, 2. And, and who is it that delivers this uh, delivers Israel out of the hand of this demonic giant. You remember? Of course, it was David. And David, of course, is a type of Christ in the Bible. And how does David defeat him? Well, they meet down in a valley, and David hits him in the head with a stone, and then he takes out a sword and destroys him. And that's exactly what Revelation 19 says that Christ is going to do when he comes out of heaven to the Antichrist. What it says is with the sharp sword that proceeds out of his mouth, he is going to destroy him. And of course, the sharp sword that proceeds out of his mouth is what? The Word of God. Number eight is Saul. Saul. Just as the nation of, of Israel chose wicked King Saul to be their king, to rule over them before getting God's choice, the man after God's own heart, David, again, a, a picture or a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same way, what's going to happen is the rapture is going to take place and God, once again, is going to focus his attention on the nation of Israel and rather than waiting for God's true king, what they're going to do is they're going to make the same mistake that they made way back in the book of 1 Samuel, and what they're going to do is they're going to take the wrong king. During the tribulation, in the first three and a half years, the Antichrist rules them, and then all of a sudden, when he comes into the, to the holy place and commits the abomination of desolation that we talked about and sets up that image of, his, of himself all at once. Then the eyes of the people of Israel will be opened, many of them, and they will turn to their real king, the king of God's choosing, the Lord Jesus Christ. David was God's choice. David was a prophet. He was a priest and a king. Saul was a prophet prophet. 
and obviously a, a king. And in 1 Samuel 13, he tries to usurp the priesthood. And again, it's the same thing that the Antichrist is going to do in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. He tries to play God. And by the end of Saul's reign, by the time you get to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28, what you find is that he is possessed by an evil spirit just like the Antichrist is in Revelation chapter 13. Number nine is Nabal. He shows up in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and he's a rebel against David, again, a type of Christ. And in 1 Samuel 25, verse 17, he's called the son of Belial, which is the word that 2 Corinthians 6.15 uses to refer to Satan. In, in verse 38 of that same chapter, 1 Samuel 25, it says that the Lord smote Nabal, just like the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do to the Antichrist. And after Nabal's death, David takes Nabal's beautiful wife to be his wife. And that's exactly what's going to take place. He, the Antichrist will have set himself up as Israel's king, as, as Israel's husbandman, as it were. The Lord Jesus Christ will come and annihilate him, and then their attention will be focused to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Next is Absalom. His name comes from two Hebrew words, Ab, which means father, as in Abba or Abba, father, and Shalom, which of course means what? Peace, okay? Absalom, his name means father of peace. And just like we saw the Antichrist earlier, he is going to be a father of peace. But, but this father of peace, Absalom, is a rebel against David, again, a type of Christ. And you know what happens? He rises up against David. He takes a third of the men with him in rebellion. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 18, 6 plus 6 plus 6, he dies and he goes, check it out, to his own place, just like the Bible says the son of perdition did, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 25. And 2 Samuel 18 verse 17 tells you what that place was. You know what it was? It was a pit, which according to Revelation 17, 8, is exactly where the son of perdition was cast, into a bottomless pit. Next is Solomon. And he's, a, he's a, a very, very unique character in the Word of God. He is the only one in the entire Bible who is both a type of Christ and a type of Antichrist. In 1 Kings chapter 10, Solomon is absolutely the most beautiful picture in the Bible of Christ ruling and reigning in his millennial kingdom. The Gentile kings there in First Kings chapter 10, the Gentile kings are coming and bowing to the king of Jerusalem to hear his wisdom and giving him gifts. But by First Kings chapter 11, he begins to picture the Antichrist. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 gives you a little hint. It says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was, now listen to it, 600 Three score and six. Six, six, six. And like Daniel 11.20 says that the Antichrist is going to do when he comes, he will raise heavy taxes 
upon Israel. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 9. Number 12 is Jeroboam. And he comes to power right after the death of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13. When Solomon died, the, the, the kingdom of Israel split with ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And Jeroboam was the first king of the northern king, kingdom of Israel. And he, he leads Israel into rebellion. He sets up images for Israel to worship exactly the way that the Antichrist does in Revelation chapter 13. Number 13 is Ahab. Ahab. And according to 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30, he was the most evil, wicked king that Israel ever had. He's married to a babe by the name of Jezebel, which Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20 defines as a religious system. And when you go back and you check it out in 1 Kings and, and Judges chapter 17 and 18, what you find is that this religious system that goes by the name of Jezebel is a religious system that uses black-robed priests called Father who use idols as aids in worship in their house of gods. And you go over to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3, and what you find is that woman Jezebel is sitting on the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. The woman is the one world religious system that the Antichrist will use to pull the world together religiously during the tribulation period. And that's what we went into all of last week, showing you that religious system that goes by the name of Jezebel and its connection to Rome and how from Rome it connects all the way back to the Tower of Babel where that whole thing, uh, that whole thing came from. And, 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 and again, we, we we're watching people in the name of fundamentalism all over this planet right now clamoring to see the world pulled together into that same system of Jezebel that the Antichrist is going to use to pull the world together in just a couple of years. Number 14 is Sennacherib. He is the, the wicked king of Assyria who comes to fight against Judah from the north. His name is found 13 times in the Bible. The, the name the Assyrian is used in the Old Testament, and we'll see this next week, to refer to the Antichrist, and it too is found 13 times in the Bible. Next, number 15, is Nebuchadnezzar. And he, of course, is the king of Babylon who captured Jerusalem and took Judah into captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 34, he is called a dragon, which Revelation 13, 4 is the power source of the Antichrist. And, of course, Revelation 12, 9 identifies the dragon as Satan, the devil. And like the Antichrist in Revelation 13, Nebuchadnezzar erects an image to himself for the people to worship him. And Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1 says that it was three score cubits high and the breadth was six cubits. That's 60 by 60 by 60. Six, six, six. The next one is number 16, 
It's Haman. He's the wicked king that you find persecuting the Jews in the book of Esther. And you remember, because of his hatred for, for one individual, Mordecai, he seeks to wipe out the entire Jewish race, which, of course, is what Satan desires to do through the Antichrist. Because of his hatred for one individual, we saw this in Revelation chapter 9, because of his hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to wipe out the entire nation of Israel because it was through Israel that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this planet. And Esther says of him in Esther chapter 7 and verse 6, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Okay, Esther, we'll take your word for it. You, you know, when God just does something like that for you in the word of God, you know what? What he's doing is he's just telegraphing a message to you. If you want to know who this adversary and who, who this, this enemy is, it's, it's Haman. Just look at Haman because he's a perfect type, a perfect picture of what the wicked one is going to do during the tribulation period. Number 17 is Herod. In Luke chapter 2, Herod is the Roman king in power at the first coming of Christ. Antichrist, of course, will be the Roman king at the second coming of Christ. You remember that Herod tried to have Jesus killed by wiping out the royal line. And you see the same thing in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He wants to wipe out all of them to get this one. Herod beheads John the Baptist, who Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3, would have been Elijah had the nation of Israel received the Messiah, and the Antichrist will do the exact same thing to guess who again? To Elijah, when he shows up on this planet during the tribulation period, along with Moses, to be preaching his guts out right in the face of the Antichrist. And then number 18, the last major type of Antichrist in the Bible, is Judas. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, now listen very carefully, refers to the Antichrist as the son of perdition. Now listen, in all of the Word of God, there is not any other person in the entire Bible that is ever given that title. Only one. So it's real hard to miss the connection. And Jesus is the one who makes the connection. In John chapter 17 and verse 12, he refers to Judas as the son of perdition. Now again, Revelation or 2 Thessalonians 2.3 refers to the Antichrist as the son of perdition. And watch how this thing unfolds. Okay, now listen. Beginning in John chapter 6, 6, 6, and continuing on through verse 70 of that chapter, Jesus explains that Judas was a devil. In John chapter 13 and verse 27, what happens is that Satan actually enters into Judas's body. And again, that's something that is not said of any other individual in the entire Bible. That is, until Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4, when what you find is that Satan enters into the body at the midpoint of the tribulation period, into the body of the Antichrist. And check this out. 
When Judas goes out and he kills himself, Acts chapter 1 verse 25 says that he went to his own place. And in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 7, it says that the beast, the Antichrist, ascends out of the bottomless pit, which Revelation 17, 8 identifies as perdition. And again, those kind of connections are just real difficult to miss in the Word of God. Don't pack up. Because that's all some, some, some real interesting stuff right there. You, you can learn a, a whole lot about the Antichrist just from going and, and, and looking at the, the types. You begin to understand more about the person and the work of the Antichrist. You begin to understand more about how God thinks and how God has supernaturally laid out the, the Word of God. But there's one other type of Antichrist that everybody in this room needs to concern themselves with this morning. And you see, most of the people in this room, you're saved. And so all this is is just a lot of pretty cool information to be able to file away and to get somewhere in your Bible and, and have all of that, that stuff. But now listen, there is a type of Antichrist that every single person in this room desperately needs to concern themselves with and what I'd like for you to do is put a number 19 on your study sheet. And next to it, I want you to write the word me with a question mark. Because it may not be true of you. But there are many in this room this morning. And based on your life right now, you become a major type of antichrist i'd like for you to turn over to the book of first john chapter two and as we're just winding down here right now okay now 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 what's happened to us this morning is we we've, we've gone through We've gotten this major overview. We've gone in. We've got some specific types. And we, we've, we've learned a lot of stuff about the Antichrist. And, and now the question that I've got for you is whether or not you are demonstrating by your life a type of Antichrist because of a, a spirit of Antichrist that's being lived out through you. And what we see here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, it says this, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Okay, now, now listen. That's the Antichrist that we've been talking about all morning. Okay, and we've all heard that the Antichrist is going to come. And John says, you, you, you've heard that the Antichrist shall come. And, and then he goes on and he says something really strange. Even now are there many Antichrist. And it's a very weird thing, folks, but this morning there are many Antichrists who are in this very room. Now, a lot of us won't get ourselves jolted out of it until we'll confess that the Antichrist spirit is working presently in our life. And I want you to listen very carefully now. 
there, there, are, there are some of you folks that are in this room this morning, and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, now listen, you may be religious, you may believe in God, you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that He is God in human flesh, you may have been baptized, you may have been catechized, homogenized, or whatever else that some, some religious group or, or you, could, you, could, you could do. You may keep the golden rule. You may do your best to keep the, the, the seven sacraments. You may, may be a member of a church. You may be a member of this church, for that matter. And, and you know what? We can go through all of those things. And listen, all of those things seem really nice. And a lot of folks... Have, are banking on, on one or more of those things to bring them eternal life. But what the Bible says is that one of these days, every single one of us that are in this room and every single person who is on this planet, one of these days, every single one of us is going to stand before God. And I want you to know something. He's not going to ask you about even one of those things that I just listed just a second ago. He is going to concern himself with one thing. On that day, there's only one thing that matters, and that is, did you receive God's only means of forgiveness that he offered as a gift through his only begotten son as his son laid his life down on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day? Now, now listen, folks. I'm not giving you Baptist doctrine right now. I'm not telling you this church believes. I'm telling you exactly what the Word of God says was the plan of God the Father to remove our sin. It was through Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and that alone, that was the plan of the Father. And for whatever reason, a lot of you, it's because of your religion. A lot of you, because you have no religion. But there are many people that are no doubt in this room this morning that have never, by faith, called very simply upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, I know that I am a sinner, and I know that there's absolutely nothing that I can do to remove my sin, and I accept today the payment for my sin that was provided by Jesus Christ shedding his blood and dying on the cross and rising from the dead the third day. I trust that and that alone as my only hope of forgiveness and of eternal life. That's as simple as the Bible makes it. Just simply accepting God's provision on your behalf. It's, it's just calling upon the name of the Lord to give you that. Now, now listen, you may not have ever realized this before, but your refusal to accept God's provision for you makes you an antichrist. Now again, I, I know that's an assaulting thing in, in terms of everything that we, we've seen this morning. That's not my opinion. I, I want you to see this. Look at the middle of verse 22, right here in 1 John chapter 2. The middle of verse 22. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. God makes it so clear. He makes it so abundantly clear 
Now listen, don't, don't, don't get up right now unless it is just an absolute emergency, okay? People's souls are in the balance right now, folks. Now, now listen, by refusing God's provision for you, it makes you, according to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22, an antichrist. You have denied what God has offered to you as your only provision for sin. And he says, that makes you an antichrist. And I want you to see what the, the Bible says is going to be the result of that back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 2 is all about the Antichrist, the one that we've been talking about this, this morning. He, he's referred to in, in this, this passage as that wicked. He, he's called the, the son of perdition. All, all of the, these things. Look what it says is going to happen. He, we, we've already seen verse 9. His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Now watch this. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because... They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And, and now listen, as simply as I've known how to make it here in the last five minutes, what I've given you the opportunity to do is the opportunity to understand the simple truth of what God did on your behalf to save you. And this morning, I want you to understand, you have the opportunity today to receive the love of the truth. The truth is, you're a sinner, can't do anything about it, so God did through His Son. Okay? And you have the opportunity today to receive that truth that you might be saved, but now listen, if you reject that truth, and the rapture takes place, the Antichrist comes on the scene, and all of the world is going to be required to receive his mark. I want you to look and see what the scripture has to say is going to be your destiny because you have denied the Father and his Son, because you are an Antichrist yourself. Look at what he says in verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, now would, you, would you look up here for just a second? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you understand very assuredly that this is the truth of God. You understand that Jesus is your only hope of salvation. But there are some of you that if you're not careful, and if you don't spiritually shake yourself, because you have pleasure in unrighteousness, which means, I don't want Jesus to come in and screw up my life because I'm having a big time right now. And he says, if, if you will lie to yourself in the face of God's truth, once the rapture has taken place and the Antichrist comes on the scene, listen, God is going to give you exactly what you want. By refusing his offer of truth to you today, 
because you have pleasure in unrighteousness. You have lied to yourself, and God says, if you want to lie to yourself, fine. Once the Antichrist comes on the scene, I'll make sure that you get exactly what you want. And listen, at that point, because of your refusal, God himself is going to send you strong delusion. You will not come back in your mind to this occasion and say, Oh no, I, I can't take the mark because I sat in that room and I understood exactly what was going on. And now I'll die as a martyr. God says, No, you won't. I won't let you. You wanted a lie, and that's exactly what you're going to get. It's a spirit of Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. And now listen, some of you that are in this room this morning, you need to listen very, very carefully to that. Church members, I don't care who you are, you need to listen to that. And if God is speaking to you today, why, you still have the time. Now, I, and listen, I don't know. We may have 30 minutes. We may have 30 days. We may have 30 years. I doubt it. We may. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just telling you. This is what the Word of God says. We have every indication that the rapture is soon. And if you refuse God's offer to you, it's a spirit of Antichrist, and He'll give you exactly what you want. He'll give you the Antichrist in the tribulation period. And, and you know what? There's some of you that... You need to be jolted to that reality today. And this is the day of salvation for you. And I want you to contemplate that for the next several minutes while I talk to First Baptist Church for just a second. Because, yeah, I know some of y'all are saying, go Mark, go Mark, work that thing. Yeah, get those people the salvation. Yeah, that's important. I want you to look back right here in the same chapter at verse 4. What, what the Antichrist spirit, how it's going to manifest itself through the Antichrist is, is this. He's going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God. And I want you to listen. It's the weirdest thing in the world to me. People who call themselves Christians can exalt themselves in their life as if they were God. And some of you claim to know the Lord, Jesus Christ, and yet you've set yourself up as the Lord over your own little kingdom, and you run your life, and you do whatever you want to do, whatever your body tells you to do, you have no indication whatsoever that your life is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is so scary is that there are people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ and live with self seated on the throne, exalting themselves as God in their own little kingdom, and they go their merry little way, and you know what? They never have any chastisement in their life. And you know what, folks? It goes totally against everything that the Word of God says. In Hebrews chapter 12, listen to it. If you are a son or a daughter of God and you are living in disobedience to the Word of God, if you're exalting yourself in your life and you are not receiving the chastisement of God, excuse this, but what the Word of God says is that you are a bastard and not a son, which means God is not your father. And now listen, if you are living 
with an antichrist spirit in your life, rebelling against the lordship of Christ in your life, and there's no chastisement. Can you let me just shake you? I can't come down into the pew and spiritually shake you, but would you listen? You're not a child of God then. Because every child of God is chastened when they live in disobedience. Now, you need to do whatever you need to do with that. Now, others of you, you're sitting on the throne in your life, and you're calling your own shots, and maybe the chastisement of God is there. God has brought us to this place today for you to confess that spirit of Antichrist that rebels against God, who exalts self above God. You need to confess that today, and it needs to be dealt with because, it, listen, it is a spirit of Antichrist. And maybe if you would just begin to call it what God calls it, maybe then you just see how assaulting it is to His Lordship. Let's bow our heads together. Now for those of you this morning that have never received Christ, I've given you just a few minutes to contemplate what you need to do in your life today. And I, I if I could make the decision for you, I, I promise you I would. But there's only one person in the world that can make that decision, and that is you. I realize some of you are thinking, well, yeah, God is, is working on my life, and, and maybe, maybe it's some other time, maybe another, some more convenient time, I, I'll do this. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Because the fact is, guys, no man comes to the Father, Jesus said. No man comes, but that the Father draw him. And if God right now has opened your eyes and you see the truth, I just want to say to you, 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 you only come when he's drawn. Now, I, I, don't, I, I really don't claim to understand how all this works. But if he's drawing now, I, I'd respond because you have no guarantee that you'll ever come to a place again in your life where the Spirit of God will be working in you the way that he is right now. And I would just challenge you. I, listen, this isn't going to get me any brownie points. I have nothing to gain in you making this decision other than a, a brother or a sister in Christ. I'd love to see you become that. But for your sake, I bring it to this point of urgency this morning. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. We'll have a few concluding announcements. And the pastors of this church are going to be up on either side of the front of the worship center. You folks who are a part of First Baptist, please wait, wait for a while before you come up and talk to the pastors. Let, let people in this room this morning that want to respond to the invitation. Come talk to our pastors. And, and, and folks, as soon as we're dismissed, why don't you come?
talk to the pastor, say, I, I need to talk to someone today about this, this thing of receiving Jesus Christ. We, we'll do whatever we can to answer your questions. If you're a lady, we'll get a lady to talk with you. If you're a man, we'll have a man that will talk with you and go to the Bible and show you today how you can receive Jesus Christ. And for those of you that, that are believers in Christ, you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're living in disobedience today, this is something that must be nailed down today because this is an antichrist spirit that rebels and exalts itself in the face of Almighty God. And it is something very, very serious. It's something that needs to be dealt with. And maybe some of you need somebody to pray with you. Come down and talk to one of the pastors today. Nail this thing down. And now, Lord, please work and do what only you, you can in the lives of, of people here today. Save the lost. And I pray that Christians would get right with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.